0: As you know, beloved listeners, I have long advocated a vote for trees, but in a sense they they already have a profound influence on our elections. Over the weekend, for example, pencils, which are cut from the very flesh of trees, helped us mark our ballots and actually gave us a new government. So... Uh, In honour of the tree, tonight we're going to explore a lignocentric history of the world, that is a history of the world, from the perspective of wood or trees. Now from our earliest use of them for shelter and food through to the invention of the wheel and onwards to the great master crisis of the 18th century, more of which comes later, Uh, Trees have been absolutely crucial and we have long taken trees and wood for granted, despite it being all around us or perhaps because it's all around us. But as we face the challenge of climate change, our next guest agrees that trees should play a very significant role in meeting the challenge. Roland Enos is a visiting professor of biological sciences at the University of Hull, Roland's an expert on the biomechanics of trees and plants and his first book was simply titled Trees and his latest one is called The Wood Age, How One Material Shaped the Whole of Human History and it's published by uh, William Collins on paper, which I have to remind you all is made of trees. Welcome to our little wireless program Roland, it's great to have you.
1: Well, thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Let's go back to the beginning of human history to find our earliest connection to trees. What can you learn from our bodies today that indicates our long relationship?
1: Well, um, our whole bodies are actually designed, though we're bipedal, we stand around, we think we're different from the rest of the primates, most of our body is actually designed uh, to allow us live in trees, which we used to do. We have grasping hands, arms that help us pull up uh, and climb trees. Um, The only real difference between us and uh, the primates is that we walk on two feet. Uh, But quite a lot of primates do that in the trees anyway, to sort of distribute their their weight over the branches. And quite a few of our ancestors, uh, there's lots of evidence that even when they come down from the trees, uh, they would still uh, be able to climb up and, and use their big shoulders to climb up into trees. So we are really uh, adapted. To, to, to living in the trees, except for those, those, uh, those the, the, the bipedalism.
0: Roland, I spent much of my childhood up a tree, a particular tree of which I was very fond on my uh, grandparents' oh. farms. I only reluctantly descended from it. What induced us to come down from them in the first place?
1: Well, it's probably climate change, uh, because about uh, ten million years ago. Uh, Africa started to dry out as the Great Rift Valley opened up. Big, big uh, mountains appeared uh, on, in East Africa. And so the trees started to, to disappear. And so the forest started to disappear, turn into savanna, And so we had to come down to the ground to
0: find food. So we had to come down from the trees to get to the next tree.
1: To get to the next tree. But also, there's some good sources of food not only on the ground, but in the ground. And one of the first things we did was to learn how to dig up big roots and tubers, things which are bigger even than today's carrots.
0: Now, I love the description of the nests that orangutans made and how they contributed to better sleep and brain development.
1: Well, that's right. It's If you're a big animal up in the trees, it's incredibly, like, incredibly dangerous. You could easily fall out, of course, particularly uh, when you're sleeping. So I believe that the animals, the primates, the great ape's brains expanded to enable them to build their nests and to plan their route across the, the forest and while keeping safe, because if they'd fallen out, they could well kill themselves. Um, they had a very good grasp, and they still do orangutans, very good grasp of the mechanics of wood. They can sort of half break wood, what's called green stick fracture, weave their nests, break thinner branches off to create lovely uh, mattresses and pillows and even blankets to put on top of themselves. And so you could say they're the first ever carpenters.
0: Roland, tell us about the importance of eating fruit.
1: Well, fruit is very important because unlike leaves, uh, leaves have a lot of, not much uh, nutrients in them and they're very hard to digest. So uh, the er early primates, if they eat leaves, would have to have a big stomach, small brains, and they were quite sluggish sort of beasts. The great advantage of fruit is that, the, is that the plant wants the animal to eat the fruit, so it provides lots of lovely sugars into it, makes it easier to digest. You only need a smaller stomach, you can develop a larger brain, and, you, and that's one of the reasons why primates got more and more intelligent as they uh, as they got bigger as well.
0: Well you make the point that uh, we that orangutans needed better brains to remember where the fruit was.
1: Well that's right because uh, in a tropical rainforest there are hundreds of different sorts of trees there's no season so it's very you have to remember what sort of time of year all the different trees are likely to, to fruit so you have to have a map in your brain of whole forest, and not just in, uh, in, in, uh, in space, but a map in time.
0: Now, apes would have had to have had a, a pretty good idea of their own physicality to know which branches would hold them.
1: Well, that's right, you, because uh, one of the things we regard as particularly human is that we have a, our own sort of body image, but apes do as well. And that's because if you're travelling across between branches, you go into thin twigs Big danger there of, of, of the branch breaking, what happens to children all the time, of course, in trees. And so it's incredibly important for them to develop large brains and to see themselves and to imagine how much what effect their bodies would have on the tree as they're going towards it. So they'd have to have some sort of uh, intuition about themselves.
0: Now Roland you come up with the extraordinary notion that Lucy arguably one on the very shortest of short lists for famous fossils probably died falling from a tree.
1: Yeah well it's that's the big news from about 3 years ago was that people studying her bones realized that she had, all the the bones were broken in just the same way that would happen if you had fallen from she had fallen from a tree there were uh compression fractures of quite a few of her bones just of the same sort that children get when they fall from trees and when you actually look at her body though the bottom part is brilliant for walking she's got she, she would have walked just like us the top part is much much stronger she's got long strong arms huge rib, rib cage huge shoulders uh, and cut and even cur-, cur lots of curved bones so that shows that she would have been adapted, not only for walking on the ground, but she could still get up in the trees, probably at night, so she could get away from her enemies and have a good night's sleep.
0: We had the ability to walk upright over three and a half million years ago, but you point that we retained the ability to climb trees for a further yeah. two million, so it was a long transition.
1: It's a long transition, and you can see why, they would be reluctant to leave that ability simply because trees are so much safer from large large predators such as lions and leop- lions, leopards, hyenas. Uh, it's the best way to, to, to actually survive, go on the ground. But still, go up on the trees. You have the best of
0: both worlds. Well, let's now look at trees, a close relative, i.e., wood, which leads us to fire, which, of course, plays such a major role because it enabled us to protect ourselves.
1: Well, that's right. Because uh, if you can start a fire, other animals hate being close to fire, and so it, it was only when people would have been able to to start to to tame fire, build wooden fires uh and 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 go around them that people would actually be able to stay on the ground at night uh, and that's when we could start to lose the need to climb back up trees again
0: we've done programs in the past on how transformational the ability to cook food was because it made it more edible and more digestible didn't it
1: yeah that's right and of course what, what have you got to cook cook food with except for wood. People talk about fire as if it's an element, but of course uh, we're not in the Middle Ages now. We know that fire is actually burning of a material, and wood is a particularly flammable material. We're very lucky. It's just one of those accidents of nature that wood, uh, when it dries out, is very flammable, and uh, and early humans uh, made use of that.
0: Well, not, not, that, non, not only to ward off predators, but of course, fire could be used to sharpen and shape tools.
1: That's right. You, um, there's people have often talked a lot about about wood wood hard uh, fire hardening of tools. That's something we actually studied. We actually put some uh, put some bits of wood on on a barbecue, and that would interest Australian listeners. And uh, and we saw how much that, that uh, what, what effect that had. And it actually did harden it. It would also allow it to be scraped off a bit more easily uh, with stone tools. And some of the earliest, perhaps the earliest, uh, wooden tool that's ever been found, the uh, Clacton spear, which is about 450,000 years old, appears to have been shaped after having been uh, wood fire hardened.
0: We might circle back to... Uh... The clacton spear a little later but yeah, we, i should yeah. also make the obvious point well echo the point you make that fire also increased social interaction because we sat around them
1: yeah yeah uh, we didn't need to spend so much time with we cook food we didn't need to spend so much time chewing it uh, and there's plenty of time therefore in the evening when the fire is going for people to sit around that helps to keep us warm of course uh, but then there's plenty of time uh, while we're relaxing to, to, to interact, plan the next day's uh, activities.
0: I've had a lifelong fascination with uh, with cave paintings and have visited Altamira and Oodles in Australia. And, of course, mm. once again, fire is imperative. It's crucial. It allows you to illuminate the innards of a cave.
1: Yeah, and... Uh, the ones in, in Europe, which I've I, I've seen, uh, yeah, that fire also acts, adds an extra sort of ethereal element, which must have been important in the uh, sort of ritual ceremonies of the of the people from that time.
0: Well, the, the dancing light sort of animates the paintings, mm. doesn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean the, the, the I mean the pictures themselves are, are really have loads of life into them. So you can imagine just how fas- fascinating and how how impressive they must have been. With torches.
0: I'm now thinking about some of the other instances of uh, wood's usefulness in in your fine tome, and one of them, of course, is it helped getting honey from trees.
1: Yeah, I mean, honey capture goes all the way back to uh, to the primates, and uh, some of the uh, some of the chimpanzees actually have a whole series of tools which they use to extract honey from 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 bees nests, from hard things to get into it, to wedges and then and then sort of tools to which are flatter to allow them to sort of suck it up.
0: I'm glad you raised that because for a long time, people seeking to define what was human from you mm. know from the other primates was that humans used tools, and then suddenly we started to discover that many animals used them, and the chimpanzee and its honey tools mm. was one of the most dramatic.
1: That's just one of them, and uh, most most excitingly, in just the last ten or fifteen years, people have started to find that. Chimpanzees also produce spears, which actually allow them to to hunt bush babies. They also make digging sticks uh, to allow them to dig up roots. And some chimpanzees also use big stone logs to, to crush things. So all of these sort of tools that we regard as human, they were already being used probably millions of years ago by apes. And so the first tools that we used were probably not stone tools at all, but wooden ones.
0: And, of course, wood gave us weapons.
1: So, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those sad facts that once you have a, a, a useful tool, in this, this case particularly spears, uh, to use for hunting, then what, what do humans usually tend to do? Well, they think, let's kill other humans. And so spears have become... Uh, a tool for not only hunting but killing other humans for hundreds of thousands of years now.
0: Well, that takes us back to the Clacton spear you were talking Mm. about earlier, doesn't it? But it requires, of course, the progress of the weapon, requires first putting a stone tip on the spear and then later, uh, of course, uh, working out how to bind them together.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't actually need uh, a stone tip to a spear, uh, the all the spears that were used to up to about 150,000 years ago were just made of wood, and they're they're perfectly adequate to kill things. Uh, there's been some some rear there was a really nice documentary about about uh, mammoths and early humans could easily have killed them just by throwing wooden spears. It's quite hard enough to kill them. Uh, it's only later that they started to add uh, stone tips, and I believe that may be to sort of help weight them forward, so they're easier to throw.
0: So in comes the Stone Age, and uh, yeah, the stone axe, of course, enabled the clearing of land.
1: Very much so. The uh, the great thing about the stone axe uh, is that it's it's mounted on a on a nice wooden handle, so you can wield it more effectively, and it's actually been ground and polished, totally smooth. So it's very effective at, at splitting wood, going in between the the, the fibres of wood, and it was that was the thing that enabled not farming not to start because farming started in in sort of places in the Middle East where there were where there were no trees. But It enabled to spread all over Europe, all over China, all over Asia, and uh, and that was all down to the use of the polished stone axe.
0: And, of course, that evolves into the modern axe, which is uh, such an important tool in the 21st yeah. century. Now, there's another technology that was added to the spear in some places, including Australia, where it's called yeah. the Woomera. Talk about that.
1: Well, the room, Woomera is uh, its just a small 8-inch to 10-inch long piece of wood which is held in the hand and acts as an extra lever where you can hold the back of the spear and the woomera. It clips around the back of the spear. And as you throw the spear, it acts as an extra length to our arm and means you can throw the spear about twice as far. It was used by the, Aust- by the Australian uh, Aborigines uh, for thousands of years and also used in South America and Central America.
0: I now have to ask you a personal question, Rod. Right. You ready for this? Yes, how do um, ex- how do you explain Wood's role in us losing our hair?
1: Uh well, that's that's uh, uh, an interesting uh, topic because it's most people think we lost our hair to keep cool uh, in the when we're hunting in out in the savannas. The problem with that idea is that. Actually, if you, if you go naked in hot savannas, you actually get hotter because the sun shines all over your body. So that can't really be, uh, can't really be the answer. And I believe the, the answer is we lost our hair to stop ourselves from having so many ectoparasites, ticks, uh, fleas and the like. Uh, but the only reason we could do that was that we were actually already sleeping in huts uh, at night so we wouldn't get cold because that's big dis- another big disadvantage of uh, losing your hair. It, it gets chilly.
0: So the parasites carried disease, so there yeah. was an evolutionary benefit to losing hair.
1: Absolutely. And it's interesting that the one bit of hair we haven't lost, uh, unless you're unlucky, the bit on top of our head, uh, that's still there. Uh, to keep our our heads cool, because if you if you shave your head in summer, hot sun, easily brain can overheat and you get sunstroke.
0: Uh, you're being very cruel to your uh, interrogator, because <laughs> I Sorry. don't have a hair on my head. But, oh uh, dear! But there are there is other hair, and one thinks of the pubic hair, yeah. for example.
1: Yes. Well, that's a very very personal and interesting question. Uh, I think probably the reason we have pubic hair is to sort of prevent our skin sticking together in sticky, situation, in sticky situations, in very personal situations, so we can slide this, off. This, is a, that's my personal this is a
0: family program. <laughs> <laughs> now, it was the relationship between wood metal and fire, which meant so many new weapons and tools could be made, not only to capture food, but to create shelter. Tell us about coppicing.
1: Oh, coppicing uh is a is a, a method of looking after trees which was very common has been common throughout Europe Europe in particular. Uh now if you want to have lots of useful bits of wood, it's and you're in the stone age, it's going to be very difficult because you have to chop a huge tree down, have to chop it up into small pieces, very difficult with stone tools, much, much easier if you've got lots of thin bits of wood already. And one way of doing that is to cut your tree down, things like a, a, an ash tree would work well or a hazel tree, then the tree responds by poking up loads of new shoots which after which turn into nice straight bits of wood. But Ron, You don't have to chop wood. a tree
0: down for that. If a tree falls, as eucalypts tend to do, on my yeah. neck of the woods, you'll oh, get right. those vertical shoots anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah that's true. Um, I think, but in Europe, what the people did was they realised that was happening, and they they coppiced trees over a huge area, so that whole of southeast England was covered in coppiced woodland which was growing up, making lots of little bits of wood which they could burn to make charcoal, and then that was used in the in the iron industry for thousands of years.
0: Now, this segues into the invention of the wheel. When did, yeah. when did that happen and
1: how? Um, well, the wheel in, was invented and first emerged about 3,500 years ago, somewhere in the Middle East, and uh, people have been... Creating little wheels for, for children's toys long before that. Uh, but they realized that if you had a big one, big wheel on, let's say, you can have a cart which you could use to, to transport uh, grains and things very effectively. Now, the big problem though is how would you make a circular wheel? It's not out, of, uh, and the only material you'd have to make it out of is wood. It's not easy. If you're using stone tools, you can't slice a tree trunk into lots of disks, as you might imagine. You have to make lots of planks, and then you have to shape the planks, fit them together, cut very fine grooves in the wood to put battens in to link it to make a a big circular wheel. And you can only do that if you've got very sharp tools. And so it's no surprise that the first wheels emerged exactly when the first copper and bronze tools emerged.
0: And they appear simultaneously in Sumeria, Caucasus and Eastern Europe.
1: That's right. Uh, all, all areas where the, the uh, copper and, and the bronze, bronze was being uh, smelted for the first time. Smelches, of, course, of course, there was
0: a predecessor to the wheel, and that's the roller. You know, because that helped uh, yeah. that helped them build the pyramids, being able to roll huge blocks well, of stone.
1: Well, that's I'm afraid I'm afraid that's a bit of a fallacy. Actually, it's one of those urban myths. If you look at Egyptian wall paintings, you can see that they mostly drag things along uh, using huge sledges, and then they uh, then they lubricated the 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 sledge by pouring water in front of the in front of it. And uh, the problem, if, if they were trying to roll huge stones across the desert in, in Egypt, the, the, they would just dig into the ground and, and it would be hopeless.
0: Now, let's look at the use of wood to make ships from, well, the basic right. Neolithic log boat to the mm. Bronze Age ships, a few of which I yeah. understand are found near your home.
1: Absolutely. They're just about five or six miles away from my home. The and were found in in the sort of mud on the sides of the Humber estuary. Uh, were obviously used for inland trade. Uh, and just like wheels, which you wouldn't be able to make without without metal tools, you wouldn't be able to make plank ships without metal tools because you've got to have very watertight joints. These ship these early boats they had were made of planks. They had they may have had a been based on a log log central log thing but then you had side bits with lots of planks you need to have lots of tongue and ju- groove joints in between the planks and they were colts with bits of bits of uh of bits of bark and things like that to make a watertight boat but you couldn't do that with just stone tools
0: an old friend of mine kamala Malak discovered a, a very large boat which had been disassembled by the great pyramid he 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 discovered mm. that boat pit and wow. that's what that's three or four thousand years old at least. Yeah. your boats are a couple of thousand right
1: uh, my boats are about three thousand years old. your boat is about four and a half thousand years that's old that's right yeah. uh, about from the age of the for, built for the for the the pharaoh who built the first pyramid so so the uh, so that's that's the, easily the oldest boat that we have living and of course it's been assembled again so you can see what it would have looked like a fantastic boat
0: it's one of the most beautiful objects on earth mm. as far as i'm concerned roland in introducing you i mentioned the uh, the mast wars would you yeah. be kind enough to tell us about them
1: well yeah um the of course back in the particularly in the 18th century the great uh the great workhorse of of international power was the was the galleon the great ships which fought each other with, with cannon and the great advantage they had was that they were sailed by wind so were powered by wind so you, you could sail them all around the world and in the 18th century there were two nations which were vying for power there was britain and there was france they both built up their navies both could have good access to enough wood to make, their, to make their ships. But the problem was there's one part of the ship which needs to be huge, and those were the masts. They had to be huge pieces of wood over 100 foot tall. And in Britain, we certainly didn't have any of, any of those pieces of wood, didn't have trees tall and straight enough. France did, so I was lucky enough many years ago when I was on the walking tour with my brother in the Pyrenees to go along a huge on a path way up in a in an obscure valley in the Pyrenees uh travel along it that's and that's a place where the French obtained their masks right in the in the the 1770s and then they transported them along this incredibly narrow path down to the sea and that's what they use for their masks we had much more problem of course in Britain
0: We began by talking climate change. Let's go back to it now that our time is running out. You believe that wood is going to take on a far greater importance as a resource in the future?
1: I I certainly hope so. I think that's something that we have to do to have sustainable use of wood. If we grow forests and harvest it and use that wood to make things like buildings, Uh, and other structures, then that's actually sequestering that carbon dioxide. So it's going to be incredibly important to do that. We're very fortunate in that in recent years people have developed a whole new ways of making wooden objects uh, uh, and making wooden buildings. Uh, They stick wood wood together to make laminate beams and that's been used to make even giant skyscrapers, huge sports halls as well. So which has far, far lower uh, carbon, uh, carbon impact than, uh, than concrete. So if we can replace concrete by wood with sustainable forests, that's really the way that we need to go.
0: Well, Roland, I'm sure you back my campaign to give uh, trees the vote. and uh, I'd like to give uh, your book the vote. I've been talking to Roland Enos, author of The Wood Age, how one material shaped the whole world,